Welcome to the Long Island Women in Tech podcast with your hosts, Jean Hannon and Stefana Muller. Stefana, it's been a little while since we've done one of these. I'm excited. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jean. I'm really excited to get back to our podcast. Yahoo! All right, <laughs> on this podcast, we spotlight women who are crushing it in technology, innovation, entrepreneurship, and more. And today, it is our pleasure to talk with Deanna Siegel Sr. Deanna is an executive coach and founder of DSS Advisory. Deanna has a PhD in organization psychology, so I'm a bit intimidated by this discussion. <laughs> Deanna, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jean and Stefana. So glad to be here. When I think of executive coaching, I think of it as somebody making an investment in their, themselves. And I think of it as an education in the soft skills where we put so much focus into education of getting college degrees and advanced degrees and advanced certifications. And I think of this as really investing and developing the soft skills. Let me ask you, what is executive coaching? Do I even understand this correctly? You absolutely do, Jean. Executive coaching is around transitions. So when people move into a new role, when people are looking to switch their career, when people are, you know, navigating, how come I'm not making that level role within my organization? What's mm. holding me back? I coach people who are returning from parental leave, maternity leave, paternity leave. Um, it's really, I would say it's more transition coaching. Sometimes for executives, sometimes emerging leaders. I coach students who are just leaving undergrad or getting their MBA and figuring out what to do next. So Deanna, executive coaching, how did you find your way into this field? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. Happy to, Jean. So I began, I think, you know, I, this sounds very corny, but I think since my early 20s, I knew I wanted to become a coach. I was waiting for the gray hair. I was waiting for the 25 years of work experience. Check. Now I have both. <laughs> lots of gray hair and lots of work experience in order to go out on my own and start the, the entrepreneurial pursuit of becoming an executive coach because becoming a coach requires that you start your own business doesn't require it. And I can explain that a little bit. You can work for others, but generally executive coaches are entrepreneurs. I always knew I loved psychology. I studied political science and psych in undergrad. I started my career at Deloitte and got kind of, you know, you go to law school or you go to a management consulting firm and you learn the, the frameworks and, you know, sort of general skill sets of management and soft and hard skills there. I knew early on that I loved the study of work. I loved understanding why people chose the careers that they chose. I spent endless hours at, you know, parties, sitting in the back corner with someone, like getting really deep into, your boss said that, you know, and like, you know, I, I just, one of those people who, loved the, the um, work environment exchange and why people chose the careers they chose, how they landed in them, if it was their own doing, if it was someone else sort of encouraging them. My father 
was a, a radiologist and hated medicine. So I was always fascinated by why did you do it then? Why did you stay doing it? How come you didn't feel the agency to change that? And I've just been fascinated by people's connection to work. So after you know management consulting and getting that those frameworks under my belt, and in grad school, I, I studied um, organizational psychology, which is the study of systems and uh, people at work. I loved the study, but was most interested in the individual pursuit and didn't go into clinical psychology. I went into organizational psychology and so was studying systems and organizations, but was always drawn to the individual. So as I became a manager and then director and senior director and VP and head of talent in organizations, I, my work was around large systems creation. And I loved the hours of my day that I got to spend with an individual person. So I sort of knew and was waiting for the guts to go out on my own. And that happened a little bit later in life. Why didn't your dad make a change? Yeah, exactly. Um, I wonder the same. And oh. I, yeah, no, I, I really do. I think that a lot of, I think more people than you would guess stay in jobs, especially of his generation, that baby boomer generation, they picked a career and they stayed in that career. I mean, my mom worked for IBM for 25 years. I mean, that's sort of what they grew up believing. They felt lucky to work for an organization that provided benefits. My dad ventured into other things, but he remained, you know, a radiologist. He had put so much time and energy into getting the degree. I think it was natural, you know, sort of a natural, like, what, what are the, the risks and pros and cons of changing. He weighed those sometimes minimally and then stuck with the career that he had begun. So I always looked at him and he was really unhappy. He was really unhappy being a physician. He should have been many other things. He was a carpenter. He used his hands. He was a financial planner as, a, as hobbies. And he chose the wrong career. And I was always fascinated by that and wanted to make sure that I could be helpful to those around me. And when I think about myself, that I not just stay somewhere that I'm unhappy. That, that really resonates with me. If you don't know about my specific career, I spent 16 years at a company because I thought when you started a company, you stay, right? I had that mentality of, you're going to stay forever. I wasn't a, uh, you know, someone out on the West Coast who takes a job for two years and jumps to the next thing. And that seemed to be the, you know, Silicon Valley tendency. Here on East Coast, I know it seems uh, interesting in that sense, but here on the East Coast, it is very focused on, you know, very deep relationships with your employer. You stay forever. It took me 16 years to realize that, I could grow outside of a company. And, and is that similar to what you see in some of the people you're coaching later in their career? Uh, could you explore that a bit? Yes, absolutely, Stefana. That's what, I, that's what I generally see. I have a number of early stage startup founders who are 
working in the field of their choice and they see themselves there for one and a half years, two and a half at most, and then they'll sort of get the next thing. And we know that that's kind of a, a you know, the, the question is, is that a stigma? Is that a part of millennial culture? What do recruiters think about that, right? I get that question daily, but it's a mindset shift in the new generation that I think is really valuable and important. And I speak to my clients of all ages and all stages about the fact that this is your life, right? It's like, we know that on our, in our personal lives, but it's really hard to translate that to our professional lives that you have to be happy at work. And when someone brings an issue to me, they really hate their boss. They've been working for them for seven years. I spoke to a woman yesterday in publishing who talked about her, their boss really never asks them about them. There's no career growth for her. And my question back is like, why do you put up with that? You know, let's look at your decision to stay in that. What's stopping you from making choices for yourself? There is always a choice. There's always a choice, no matter your financial circumstances, no matter what your risk aversion score is on, you know, the, the psychological assessments that we run, there's always a choice in the matter to make yourself happy. And, and it's interesting what you say, Stefana, I think that's, that's interesting the the East coast, West coast thing, I think of it that way. I think of it generationally. And I think of it as like a, a personality type also. The commitment that we make. Some of us have the same, you know, my, my husband has been with the same barber for 25 years or something like that. And he would never leave him. He doesn't love his haircut, but he would never leave him. Don't tell Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, a, there's something that um, creates a... a commitment that that keeps people in jobs that that they don't love so i'll ask you stefano like why did you stay for all of that time um there was a there was a part of me that initially thought i'm going to grow here and only here and i didn't have a degree so there was one that was one reason right and so not having the degree under my belt i felt hey i'm not marketable outside of this company mm -hmm. the second thing was i ended up having kids and that company had daycare on site. Mm -hmm. So that was a commitment because if I left, there goes the daycare on site. And I think in the last probably six years of my career there, that was the reason I stayed. And it's unfortunate because the answer is that I could have left earlier and probably grown in my career and also found great daycare, <laughs> you know, outside of that. Uh, but at the same time, I did grow in my career internally. I learned a lot about the business. I learned a lot about working in a large enterprise. So there's positives and negatives there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, that that's exactly what I hear out there. A lot of people think about it's mostly fears. It's mostly those gremlins on our shoulders, right, that say you don't have what it takes to go do that other thing or I have other commitments in my life. I don't, this isn't my, you know, sole endeavor. So I have to think about the kids and the family life I'd like to have and change is hard. So that's sort of number one, like change is hard. 
and the psychological transition that happens in your head, in your body, as you're going through change is hard. And we all have to do it as part of life. So we don't want to choose to do it as it relates to work. Tiana, I think that's, it's funny you said the psychological transition and the change is hard. The funny thing is I kept convincing myself over those 16 years that I was changing inside this company and I was growing here. So I'm good. You know, it was almost an excuse. Wish I would have considered an executive coach at the time to consider a transition. It does sound like that's the value because when you're having a discussion with somebody else, you can't just fool yourself. Now you're actually saying it out loud to somebody who's going to ask an insightful question in return, and then yeah, you have to explore it. And how do you guide people, Deanna? Especially, I guess there's people who know what they want to do, but they're afraid to do it. But how about, I'm probably a little more in the camp of, I don't know what I want to do next. So how do I figure that out? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And just, just back to the exchange that you, were two, that you two were just having, I also like to frame the choices that we make as um, sometimes purposeful, intentional, like those last years, Stefana, made sense for you. You did grow. There was purpose in staying. You weren't ready to leave. So looking back with regret, I think, is always a mistake. Like there was so much to be gained from that experience. I, you know, I, I also like to, to frame choices as it might not have been the right time. So no regrets. Now we look forward and see like what's on the horizon with the new role that you're in and how you're navigating your own growth trajectory. Jean, when we think about people who um, don't know what they want to do next, most of us don't know what we want to do next. So what we do in a, in a coaching relationship is first of all, get really deep in understanding where the person comes from, what their context is, what are the leadership lessons they've learned throughout their life career from personal and professional pivot points. What made my dad decide he needed to be a radiologist? It had a lot to do with his mother thinking that, you know, young Jewish boy needed to become, there was a lot of that, right? So we're all made up of our family stories and personal lives as well, which help us to sort of navigate where we go and the choices that we make. When someone doesn't know what they want to do, I generally start with innocuous networking conversations. Look at the people in your life who you find interesting, who you're curious to know more about. You may spend a lot of time with an old college friend, but do you really understand what they do in their day job? And just sort of like interviewing individuals whose lives are appealing to you, you know, sort of like having interesting conversations like on a podcast, like what what exactly do you do? And so oftentimes I'm helping individuals structure interviews with their boyfriend's cousin or their grandmother's relation, their conversations with others to find out what does a vet do? What does a veterinarian actually do? I've always loved animals, but like, what is their day job? So a lot of mining their own networks for the keys to what is it that we do. The other thing that we often do is I'm a big, I can't help it. I guess it's from my, my um, PhD days, but I love 
um, looking at assessments and getting underneath one's mm -hmm. motivations, values. We've talked about this before, Jean, like one's motivations, values, preferences, what makes you, you. And then I combine that with an assessment around what are the career choices that people like you generally make. And it's just a data point. It's a hypothesis. It is not the end result. It's just, huh, I've never thought of my analytical skills in baking, or I've never, you know, considered that I, I might, I might actually be invested in going back and becoming an electrical engineer. So I sort of begin with what the, that person has hoped and dreamed for, and then combine it with looking at what jobs are out there that that person never thought of before. I do, I have um, my MBA from Fordham. So I do mentoring for MBA candidates. And it's something that's really wonderful that they provide where volunteers happen and if somebody's interested in that industry. But you know, we don't really, we don't come into it with any sort of training or framework on how to guide somebody in this area. And I, I feel like I've shifted recently from, I used to think about things like, okay, well you go in and strategically you go here, so then you can go there because it's about, about advancement. And it's about where the jobs are. And I mentored somebody last week and we're, we have a year long, this is now a year long commitment. So it was just our first of many conversations. And I, I said, well, actually, what I've now come to realize is that you have to do something you find interesting because then you're gonna get really good at it and then you're gonna get another job and you're going to become better paid. And then you're gonna get to the point where you know, you're ingrained in this area because now you're making at X level and you've got expenses and you just, you're not going to want to start over. So don't do something because it sounds good. Do something because you find it interesting because it's going to lead you to more things that are interesting. I so that was now my new framework. Yeah, I think that that's great advice, Jean. I think it's really, it, it's interesting to think about giving advice and helping recent grads along. I think that's great advice to give people and to, I often say, what is your, what are you thinking as far as your next job, not your last job, mm. right? Also, it's funny how life experience is so important to the equation, right? I, I think about David Brooks wrote an amazing piece in the Times um, and wrote a book um, called something about yeah. the Second Mountain. The Second Mountain, I read it. Yep, and it's it's just fascinating to me how I, I wonder if it's possible to disrupt that process where people need to climb their first mountain and achieve those things that you just mentioned: status, security, the title. You know, when when we were when we were exiting college, I feel like there were certain professions that were really sexy and they're different from what they are today. But in every generation, there's like a different, right now it's probably more tech. At the time it was like investment banking. You know, there were, there were roles that people would say like, ooh, that's, that's where you go when you finish your MBA or when you're starting out your career and how do we give opportunities to those who don't have access to those kinds of careers but there was status jobs and climbing that first mountain is like a piece of just what we're built 
four, right? And then that second mountain comes after a life experience, a change, a um, trauma. And when people climb their second mountain, they're really doing what they you know, were intended to do in life. And David Brooks looks at his friends and says like, everyone on their second mountain is so much happier. They're so much closer. They're doing what is closest to their values, to their tree trunk, like their foundation. And they're not following somebody else's path. But to disrupt the process of getting to your second mountain and finding your second mountain first you know, I, I think about as that's, it would be amazing to help people optimize their lives by climbing right to the, by getting right to climbing the second mountain. I'm just not sure we can do it. People have to pursue what my dad had to pursue that medical degree because it was going to make his mom happy right? Could we have disrupted it? I, I wish later in life, I wish his life had been longer. He died at 67, but like, I wish he could have found his second mountain in his fifties and pursued something else that would have been closer to his values. So I think it's about, you know, getting close to yourself, knowing yourself really well, and then matching your career to who you are uniquely and what really drives your own satisfaction and happiness. But most of us don't even know ourselves well enough to understand how to make ourselves happy. I, I also like, um, Jean, have you read the, the design thinking, David Evans, How to Design Your Life? How to Design Your Life is a really valuable, it, it incorporates design thinking, which is a very tech-driven framework around knowing your user, thinking 10x and then designing your prototype. And if you apply that to your life, I often use this with clients to do exercises to apply, you know, that kind of thinking to your life allows you to make choices that help you to be closer to who you really are and what you're driven to do. And when you think about, you know, who you're intended to serve, it sort of connects to that purpose piece. So if you start with who you're intended to serve and then think 10X about what you will do in order to serve them and then try prototypes, fake it or make it, right? Put out there in the world, I'm going to, you know, um, serve you as a veterinarian, right? Like what does that do for the world? Does it, does that connect to my values? Does it provide something to society and, um, and sort of go from there to design your life. And then they wrote a second version, design your work life. Time has flown and we're, we're going to wrap up. Um, this has been wonderful. How, how can people connect with you if they're interested in exploring a individual session, a group session? Yeah, I, they can check me out. My website is www.dss-advisory.com. You'll see there my individual coaching practice. I do group coaching. I do leadership development work. We will put all of that in the show notes. I've, I've really appreciated your time, Deanna, um, and I've learned a lot. If, if I had any power, I would replace high school trigonometry with a, a course that you design because I feel like everybody starting when, when their brain and they start making important decisions, 
should really be thinking about how to navigate transitions in their life effectively for, for goals of, of service and, and personal fulfillment. Yeah, and you know so what thank I, you. I think I think the the value of coaching is that you know you don't really even if you spend time with a friend or a loved one and focus on yourself, your career, what you hope to get out of life, you know, it's sort of a back and forth and it's a you know at best maybe a 20 minute conversation with a really really engaged friend, maybe it's a little bit longer. With a coach, it's all about you. It's all about your agenda. It's all about getting closer and closer to what we can draw out of you. And it's, you know, sort of the value of time spent focused on your needs, wants, desires, you know, and, and aspirations. So that's really what it's about. I think you guys nailed it. And yeah, I, I love this work. I'm so privileged to be doing it. And yeah, would love to connect more on this topic and change and others. Well, it was wonderful speaking with you today, Deanna. I loved this session and I'm going to learn a lot from it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day.